This teaching comes to you from the team at St Mark's Darling Point, Sydney. We hope that it blesses you. Before we hear the Bible read, uh, let's likewise pray and thank him, ask him to speak to us in his word. Our Lord and loving Heavenly Father, we thank you that you are a God who speaks. We thank you for your word and for the revelation of your character, of who you are in it. And we pray that now as we hear your word read, you would open the eyes of our hearts that we would know you. And in Jesus' name we ask. Amen. Good morning. Today's first reading is from Psalm 30. You can find it on page 439 of the Pew Bible. I will extol you, O Lord, for you have drawn me up and do not let my foes rejoice over me. O Lord, my God, I cry to you for help and you have, fe- you have healed me. O Lord, you brought up my soul from Sheol restored me to life from among those gone down to the pit. Sing praises to the Lord, O you his faithful ones, and give thanks to his holy name. For his anger is but for a moment, his favor is for a lifetime. Weeping may linger for the night, but joy comes with the morning. As for me, I said in my prosperity, I shall never be moved. By your favor, O Lord, You had established me as a strong mountain. You hid your face. I was dismayed. To you, O Lord, I cried, and to the Lord I made supplication. What profit is there in my death if I go down to the pit? Will the dust praise you? Will it tell of your faithfulness? Hear, O Lord, and be gracious to me. O Lord, be my helper. You have turned my mourning into dancing. You have taken off my sackcloth and clothed me with joy, so that my soul may praise you and not be silent. O Lord my God, I will give thanks to you forever. Hear the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. Good morning. Um, Our second reading today is from the Gospel of Mark, uh, chapter 5, verses 21 to 43. Um, And you can find that on page 816 of the Red Pew Bibles. Um, I've had a bit of a cough this week, so apologies if I'm a bit croaky. And thank you for bearing with with me if I need a couple of pauses through this. But um, page 816, uh, Mark 21 to 43. When Jesus crossed again in the boat to the other side, a great crowd gathered around him and he was by the sea. Then one of the leaders of the synagogue named Jairus came and, when he saw him, fell at his feet and begged him repeatedly, My little daughter is at the point of death. Come and lay your hands on her so that she may be made well and live. So he went with him. And a large crowd followed him and pressed in on him. Now there was a woman who had been suffering from hemorrhages for 12 years. She had endured much under many physicians and had spent all that she had, and she was no better, but rather grew worse. She had heard about Jesus and came up behind him in the crowd and touched his cloak, for she said, If I but touch his clothes, I will be made well. Immediately her hemorrhage stopped, and she felt in her body that she was healed of her disease. 
Immediately aware that power had gone from him, Jesus turned about in the crowd and said, Who touched my clothes? And his disciples said to him, You see the crowd is pressing in on you. How can you say who touched me? He looked around to see who had done it. But the woman, knowing what had happened to her, came in fear and trembling, fell down before him and told him the whole truth. He said to her, Daughter, your faith has made you well. Go in peace and be healed of your disease. While he was speaking, some people came from the leader's house to say, Your daughter is dead. Why trouble the teacher any further? But overhearing what they said, Jesus said to the leader of the synagogue, Do not fear, only believe. He allowed no one to follow him except Peter, James and John, the brother of James. When they came to the house of the leader of the synagogue, he saw a commotion, people weeping and wailing loudly. When he had entered, he said to them, Why do you make a commotion and weep? (coughs) The child is not dead, but sleeping. And they laughed at him. Then he put them all outside and took the child's father and mother and those who were with him and went in where the child was. He took her by the hand and said to her, Talatha kum, which means little girl, get up. And immediately the girl got up and began to walk about. She was 12 years of age. At this they were overcome with amazement. He strictly ordered them that no one should know this and told them to give her something to eat. Hear the word of the Lord. Good morning. My name's Tim, in case we haven't met. It's great to be here with you again this morning. Well, the pursuit of wellness can be an obsession. We don't only only want to avoid getting sick, we want wellness and longevity. Deepak Chopra tells us that we can attain perfect health, free from all disease and pain, impervious to ageing and even death. The more modest biohackers promise that if we eat the right things, avoid sitting too much, uh, do the right number of steps per day, exercise the right way, expose ourselves to the right light, we could even live to 120 and beyond. Now, I think for most of us, we know that the idea that we can actually overcome sickness and death is a bit overblown. But there is something about these, pro- these kinds of promises that really enchant us. They tap into a deep longing that we have for life and wellness. But we, we can so love the idea of wellness, health and youth, which I think we do in our part of the world, that we can hide from the stark realities of sickness and death. We hide from them because they're painful and frightening. When I look at my family members with chronic pain, it saps away at their joy and strength. When my friend died young, it completely disoriented me, not to mention his sister and his parents. Our worst nightmares are losing our best friend, our partner, our child, and they're nightmares that too many of us have lived. Sickness and death are painful, 
frightening and none of us are immune. But this morning, I want you to see that when you or someone you love is seriously ill or staring down the face of death, Jesus offers you real hope. We'll be looking at this short story from Jesus' life in the Gospel of Mark that we had read just earlier. And I'm going to say three things from this passage about sickness and death. Three things and then some ways that we can respond. So keep your Bibles open at Mark 5.21. We'll be looking at that together. Now the first thing this passage shows us about sickness and death is that well, sickness is debilitating, desperate and deathly. Did you notice the two people we met in the story? First there was Jairus. He's a powerful, influential man, ruler of the synagogue, a father. He's got influence and he commands respect. But now he's a beggar. He falls groveling at Jesus' feet because his little daughter is on the verge of death. And in the face of death, Jairus has met the limits of his power and influence. He can do nothing. And then there's this nameless woman. She's had, <clears throat> she's had a discharge of blood that's been going on for 12 years. She can't have children. She's in constant pain and discomfort. She's been from doctor to doctor, trying new treatments, new diets, new medicine, but everything just made her worse and her money completely dried up. And she's been shamed and rejected. According to the customs of the time, the flow of blood has made her ceremonially unclean. And so she couldn't enter the temple to pray or worship. And in all that time, she wouldn't have been intimate with her husband. So we have these two figures, two ends of the social ladder, but both of them reduced to absolute desperation in the face of sickness and death. They're completely debilitated. You know, when sickness, serious sickness comes for us, it can overtake everything, force us to drop everything, derails our plans, careers, hopes and dreams. And like this woman, we can spend years trying to find the right doctor, every possibility, searching for something that will help. And disease and death stamp a mark of, of unclean, even though we like to think of ourselves as a more enlightened society. You know, I think of my grandma with her disability in her final years, making her feel useless and worthless, like she didn't belong with everybody anymore. I think of my friend from a previous church with a muscular disorder that made it really difficult for her to speak. And so no one really wanted to talk with her because it was just too slow and awkward. I think of the young woman who lost her husband. People don't know what to say, so they don't say anything. And notice they're completely desperate because sickness is a portent of death. It's an unwelcome intruder that reminds you that you will die. In our desire for wellness and longevity, we really need to be reminded 
that we are dust. As a reasonably young, healthy man, it's easy for me to forget about my mortality and it's the same for, for many of you here too. But every time you have an injury, a cold, your sickness should shake you up, wake you up from your daydreams, remind you that you will die. Sickness is debilitating, desperate and deathly. But the second thing this passage shows us is that Jesus makes us well. Look at verse 27. She, the woman, had heard the reports about Jesus and come up behind him in the crowd and touched his garment. For she said, if I touch even his garments, I'll be made well. And immediately the flow of blood dried up and she felt in her body that she was healed of her disease. Just like that, the woman is healed. After years of debilitation and despair, immediately it's come to an end. Now so far in our series on Mark, we've seen how Jesus is the king of God's kingdom, bringing God's kingdom, his reigning presence for his people, life, peace and victory. And so this miracle, it's not just a neat trick. It's a glimpse of the kingdom of God that Jesus is bringing and will bring. And it's a glimpse of the physical healing that Jesus will bring for us. Now, of course, Jesus can heal now, and sometimes he does. And that's why we pray in hope and we give real thanks when he does. But now we wait patiently for Jesus to return and bring complete healing. But notice too that Jesus also makes her well socially. Because of her sickness, she was isolated, but now Jesus draws her out of her shell and affectionately says to her, Daughter, he calls her daughter, Daughter, your faith has made you well. Go in peace. He says, See this woman? She's not a pariah. She deserves the same love, respect and care as anyone else. If you're disabled or unwell or lonely, Jesus is there as he was for this woman, is there with you and for you. If you trust him, he lives in you by his spirit and he wants to take your burdens And he wants to love you as you are. And you know, following Jesus also means that you're you're connected to the community of Jesus' disciples, his body, the church, who will hopefully do the same. Now, when I was a teenager, someone I was close with was struggling with mental and physical health issues until one day her friends abandoned her in the schoolyard. And you know who took her in? the Christians in her year group, the Christians who she used to bully. It was a beautiful example of Christians showing the same care for the sick and lonely as Jesus did. And I think it stands as an example to us here today to do the same. Jesus makes us well.
The third thing this passage teaches us is that Jesus raises us from the dead. And when we come to this final scene in the the passage from verse 35, it gets even more intense because Jairus' daughter dies and the people are crushed with despair. Your daughter is dead. Don't bother the teacher anymore. They're weeping, they're wailing, the commotion. And so when Jesus says, oh, she's only sleeping, they know better. That's why they laugh. They know death when they see it. You know, we can tend to think, oh, 2,000 years ago, they were very primitive. They, you know, they would believe anything. And we know better now. But no, they knew death better than we do. They saw death every day. And they know that death is the end. You know, imagine someone coming to your loved one's funeral and saying, oh, don't worry, he's just asleep. It might be funny if it wasn't so cruel. But look at what Jesus does next, verse 40. But then, that, sorry, but he put them all outside and took the child's father and mother and those who were with him and went in where the child was. Taking her by the hand, he said to her, Talitha kumi, which means, little girl, I say to you, arise. And immediately, the little girl got up and began to walk about. Jesus simply takes her by the hand and speaks. Not magic words, not an ecstatic experience or raised hands, just little girl, arise. And she arises. This is a glimpse into the resurrection life that Jesus the king of God's kingdom brings to us. Because a little while after this, Jesus himself suffers deeply. He's beaten and painfully crucified, dead. But he rises from the dead. And so with Jesus, resurrection bursts into our world. This is an inbreaking of the kingdom of God, the transformed creation that he'll bring And, you know, for us, it's an image of our future, an image of the final transformation by grace that Jesus will bring. And notice, too, that Jesus gives her something to eat. This girl wasn't a ghost. Now, if you've seen Caspar the Ghost or Ghostbusters, you would know that that food falls straight through and lands on the floor, right? Now, this girl is raised bodily from the dead, And so if you trust Jesus, you can look forward to a new body free from sickness, disability and terminal illness. I've heard it said that life is all downhill after you're 25. That sounds a bit young to me. You you age, you slow down, get less beautiful, lose brain cells. That's what they say. I don't know if it's true. But as we get older uh, or sicker or less able... I think we grieve lost opportunity. I'll never play football again. I'll never enjoy the outdoors again. I'll never look like that again. I'll never feel that fresh or strong again. But you know, resurrection means that if you trust Jesus, yes, you will. You will have a resurrection body in the new creation. And an eternity 
to use it. We don't know exactly what it will look like or exactly what we'll be doing, but we know that we'll never suffer from sickness or pain or death again. Jesus, the Son of God who rose from the dead and raised this little girl, will raise you too. And that brings us to the end of the story, but I would want to circle back around like we've done the last couple of weeks and think about how the different people in this story show us different ways that we could potentially respond to Jesus. And there are four here who I want us to look at. First, there are the mourners who laugh at Jesus. Now, maybe you're hearing me talk today and you're thinking, ah, oh, that's rubbish, made-up fairy tales, resurrection from the dead. Who'd believe that? And, you know, I understand where you're coming from because that this little girl rose from the dead, that Jesus rose from the dead, that his followers would too, really, I think, given our experience of things, sounds ludicrous. But I urge you, before you laugh, look into it. Find out more about who Jesus is. Look to the, the evidence for Jesus', uh, for Jesus death and resurrection. Read the Gospel of Mark before you laugh. But second, there's the crowd who gather around Jesus and press in on him. They press in. Now, while this woman came to Jesus to purposefully touch him, the crowd also touch him. They come into close contact with him, but they're not healed. Perhaps you're interested in Jesus. Go to church. Don't want to take Jesus too seriously. And maybe you're healthy. You feel young and fit. Sickness and death are a long way off. And so you don't really need Jesus. But I want to ask you, instead of just kind of pressing in on Jesus, maybe you need to come in and purposefully touch him. Because to paraphrase the, uh, Bishop J.C. Ryle, he says, what will you do when you are ill? The time will come when you will sicken and die where will you turn for comfort? On what will you rest your soul? Don't leave it to your deathbed. The greatest business shouldn't be left till last. The body which now takes up so much of your attention, the body which you now clothe and feed, exercise and warm with so much care, that body must again return to the dust. What will you do then? So I invite you today not to press up against Jesus by chance, but to touch him with purpose and be healed. Now third, there's Jairus. He's a powerful, influential man. Maybe you resonate with him. Capable, confident, healthy, and so on the surface, don't really seem to have much of a need for Jesus. But he, even he, recognises his powerlessness in the face of disease and death. So he falls at Jesus' feet and he completely entrusts himself to Jesus. And that's what he calls each of us to do. Even the strongest and most powerful need him in the face of sickness and death. But finally, there's this woman, this nameless woman. She's not powerful or influential at all. She's timid and afraid. 
And she comes to Jesus from behind, nervous about what might happen. But again, she trusts in Jesus' ability to heal her. And she received the greatest commendation of anyone in the story. Daughter, your faith has made you well. And so maybe you here today resonate especially with this woman. Burdened by disease, loneliness, anxiety, fear. Jesus calls you to entrust yourself to him. He will carry your burdens. He will make you well. Welcome you. Give you a new family and give you hope for complete and real physical healing in his kingdom. But even if you don't resonate with this woman, she is the model disciple in this story. Jesus wants us all to respond to him like she did, to recognise our need and to come to him humbly to be healed. Will you do that? Will you reach out, take hold of Jesus and be healed? Amen. Thanks for listening. Please visit our website at www.stmarksdp.org to subscribe to our new episodes, browse more resources and find more information about the community of St Mark's.